thank you. Please, uh, please have a seat. <clears throat> As we come to the, uh, to the conclusion of our study through, uh, through 1 Thessalonians, uh, we've been reminded that Jesus is coming back. Amen, church? Amen. Jesus is coming back. The Old Testament said he would come the first time, and he did. The New Testament says he will come again, and we know he will. We've just entered into a season of focusing on uh, his first coming, his first advent, uh, uh, went to our local ASDA uh, recently, and the pumpkins have come down, and the Christmas trees have come up. Um, and, and we now pivot to begin to think about that. And yet we're reminded here in 1 Thessalonians that, that Jesus is coming back, and, and I'll be the first to confess, I often just don't give that a lot of thought. It's like I'm going through the day-to-day uh, things of life. I, I sometimes take no note or no thought of the fact that that Jesus is coming back. And so Paul uh, has written a letter to a church, just like ours, a group of believers uh, who were meeting in a place called Thessalonica, and he's written them this letter, and it's about the second coming. And so, in fact, in all five chapters, the return of Jesus is mentioned at least once in all five chapters. And, and, And Paul is writing specifically in the context of Uh, some of their struggles around the second coming. And so it had affected them in a couple of ways, and most of them actually had turned out to be negative. So one example would be, uh, we know historically that some of them, as best we can tell, had maybe quit their jobs, had quit going to work. They just thought, you know, Jesus is coming back. What's what's the, you know, no need to go into work Monday morning. Jesus is coming back. Uh, no need to really check on my neighbors, Jesus is coming back. Uh, no need to be generous with my finances, Jesus is coming back. And, and Paul writes this letter to say, I think maybe you guys have missed it uh, just a little bit. And so as Paul then concludes this letter, he's going to remind the church that as we think about the second coming, as we think about what it means to be followers of Jesus, that Jesus is more concerned with our character than he is our conduct. Let me say that again. Jesus is more concerned about who you are than he is with what you do. Because what we do always flows out of who we are. Let me say that again. What we do always flows out of who we are. So Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, Jesus said, whatever is in your heart eventually will come out of your mouth. If if you ever want a good indicator of that, hit your finger with a hammer. Amen? And you will quickly find out what is in your heart, right? And so there's this kind of principle throughout Scripture that that our conduct always flows out of our character. And so what what Paul's going to remind us and what he's going to remind the church is, look, Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, it's not just about what he finds us doing, but it's about who he finds us being, who we are. So I want to invite you to turn uh, in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 12. It's page 1188 in the Bible there uh, on the table, uh, the the blue Bible. Page 1188, we're going to begin in verse 12. And Paul's going to give them final instructions. And again, we're we're thinking about not necessarily what we do, but who we are. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. And, and, uh, And this was written by the Holy Spirit through Paul. So this is the Lord speaking. To us, and this is what he says, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, 
to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. Now live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Now make sure that that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Uh, Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. Let's pray together. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and true. And Lord, we, as always, we just want to be really quick to to just confess our need for you to help us understand your word. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our minds and give us understanding of what you have to say to us today. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts, that we wouldn't simply be hearers of the word, but we would be transformed into doers. And so, Lord, use your word to, uh, to change us, to make us more like you, Jesus. And Lord, as, as we look at these kind of characters of a disciple, Lord, I would be first to say, man, they challenge me, Lord, because I don't always see myself in these. And so, Lord, uh, just pray that you would encourage our hearts and that remind us that, that, Lord, it is only through you and by your power that we can do these things. So speak to us, your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Paul's going to start to finish up his letter to the church by reminding them of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, the the spirit, the little s spirit that that God calls us to have as followers of Jesus. And so we're just going to work through these verse by verse, and we'll just see uh, some of these that Paul lays out for us. Uh, And and they can be quite challenging. So uh, number one, we see this, that as a... Help me out, Ben. There we go. As a follower of Jesus, I'm called to develop a spirit of respectfulness. As a follower of Jesus, I'm called to develop a spirit of respectfulness. And so look at, look at verses 12 and 13. I have them here for us. Now, Paul writes this. Now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work and live in peace with each other. Now, uh, by all indication, uh, Paul here is referring to the elders of the church. And so as, as Paul traveled, as we read through the book of Acts, we see Paul with a team of people going from city to city uh, and starting churches, planting churches. And as Paul would plant these churches, he would then leave local leadership, local elders. There was always a plurality of elders. There wasn't just like one man who was in charge of everything, but he would appoint teams of men. And so sometimes this took a long time. Uh, We know he was in Ephesus, for example, for two years. And so Paul was committed to not simply starting churches, but to starting healthy churches. And Paul knew this meant raising up healthy 
leaders. And so all of these churches he writes to in Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, Galatia, all of these places, Paul has raised up elders to help with the church. And so by all indications, scholars would agree that it seems like this is who this part of the letter is addressed to. And he's saying to the, to the wider church, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. Those would be the local elders who care for you in the Lord, who admonish you, and hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. And so it's interesting here that this word acknowledge in the Greek literally just means respect. It means just, just show respect to the spiritual leaders God has placed in the church. And actually, this is not an uncommon theme for Paul. Uh, Paul will tell us throughout his writings that as believers, as followers of Jesus, that we are to be men and women of respect. And so uh, we respect leaders in the local church. We respect leaders in government. So Romans chapter 13, Paul reminds us to pray for those in leadership over us, pray for government officials. And so uh, as followers of Jesus, we should be known as those who respect God-placed authority. God-placed authority. Now, uh, we have to remember this, this book, our Bible, was written in an Eastern context, an Eastern culture. And of course, we come to it with, with a Western culture, a, a Western mindset. And, and I will confess that sometimes in the West, I think we hold rebellion as a higher value than we do respectfulness. Sometimes we hold rebellion as a higher value than respectfulness. And so, uh, and so it might be rebellion against government, rebellion against the culture. You know, I, I, Max asked me, um, uh, I can remember Max, I don't even know, they had done some kind of thing at primary school once, and Max came home and said, uh, I, I have a question about a word I don't understand. And I said, what is it? And Max said, what's a hippie? What's a hippie? And I said, I don't know. Let's Google it. And so uh, we, we Googled what a hippie was, right? And so apparently some of you were old enough to be alive. I, I don't know. But right, there was a time, not looking at you, Simon Spencer. I just happened to look back that way. Wouldn't you? I mean, Simon with hair down to like there and like, you know, a Volkswagen van with love all over it, right? Um, uh, so, so we in the West sometimes value rebellion against authority more than we do respect for authority. Sometimes we even bring it into the local church. And, and so here Paul says, man, as believers, we want to develop a spirit of respectfulness. Now hear me loud and clear. Does that mean we blindly follow the government? Of course not. Does it mean we blindly follow church leadership? Of course not. Our matrix, our lens, our filter is always this book. Amen, church? And, and when the government goes against something in this book, then it is time for the church to push back. If leadership goes against what's in this book, it, it's, it's time for the church to push back. And yet, we, we want to develop a spirit of respectfulness over a spirit of rebellion. And, and so he says, as followers of Jesus, develop a spirit of respectfulness. Uh, we were on the tube uh, not too long ago. And, uh, and, and uh, some, some older women came on, and uh, no one got up to, uh, to give them a seat. And so, uh, so this, our, my son Max was with us, and, uh, and Max got up, and, uh, and, and I got up. And so these two ladies sat down, and we started talking to them, and, uh, and they were just 
just doting over Max, like in the biggest way. And, oh, he, you're so cute and handsome, and we love your accent, and you're so polite, and you're so, you know, and Max leaned over and whispered in my ear, I shouldn't have gave him my seat. Like, you know, uh, uh, right? Um, but one of the things the lady said is she said, wow, people just don't do that anymore. People just don't do that anymore. Listen, there, there's something in a gospel testimony about respecting one another. Amen. And so as, as followers of Jesus, we, we, we're, we're not by nature rebellious. We're by nature respectful. It's who we are. Uh, he gives us then a second uh, character trait. And he says this, uh, as, as followers, I'm just clicking it one time, Ben, and it's going right over number two. There we go. Thanks, mate. As, uh, as followers of Jesus, I'm called to develop a spirit of kindness and goodness. As, as a follower of Jesus, I'm called to develop a spirit of kindness and goodness. Uh, and we see this in verses 14 and 15. Uh, and, and look what he says here. He says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, and make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Now, uh, the, these are some of the things they were struggling with, right? He says, he says, warn those who are idle. So some people have, have quit tending their flock. Some people have quit working in their fields. Some people have, have quit work. They've become idle because of the, the thought that Jesus is coming. Some have become disruptive, maybe have become disgruntled in the church because, you know, Paul, you said Jesus was coming back and he hasn't come yet and, and they've become disruptive in the church. Others have just been disheartened. Like, I'm just desperate for Jesus to come back and, and I'm just downcast and disheartened. And Paul says, look, we want to be a people who help the weak. We help those who struggle I mean, I mean we, we of all people should be the very last to cast the first stone, right? Uh, we, we are those who help those who are weak. We, we're patient with everyone. We do good for each other and for everyone else. It's who God's called us to be, right? And, and it's who He's called the church to be. And so we respect one another, but then we treat one another with kindness. And when we struggle, when we're idle, when we're disruptive, when we're disheartened, when we're weak, we are patient with one another. We encourage one another. You know, we've often said, listen, a, a, a church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners, right? None of us are here this morning because we have it all together. We're here this morning because we realize we don't have it all together, Right? And so it's okay to come in. I, I, I can remember um, this was years ago. We, we had someone visit. She's, she's moved along now, but uh, she visited, wasn't a believer. And, and I remember speaking to her after church, and I just said, um, wow, like, what, what, did, what did you think of the gathering? And she said, I, I, just fit, I just really feel like I fit in. And I said, why, that? why is that? And she said, well, I looked around the room, and, I mean, everybody just seemed really effed up, and I'm effed up, so I just fit right in. Now, we, did, we decided not to make that the slogan of the church. <laughs> but I appreciate what she said, right? She was just saying what was in her heart. She didn't know Jesus. And she was trying to put to words what God was doing in her heart. And that is, I walked in this place and saw there are a lot of broken people and I'm a broken person and I get it. And by the way, that's what church is meant to be. Amen? Right? 
And so, so we, we don't judge, we don't condemn, but we treat one another with kindness and with goodness. He says, but always strive to do what is good, not for yourself, but for each other and for everyone else. The word good there, this would have been written in the Greek, and, and, and the, a more accurate translation would be for the benefit of. And so we're always working for the benefit of one another. Now think about this, and Paul, Paul will say this in some of his le- other letters. If we all come into this space and we're all working to serve one another, that means everyone will be served. Does that make sense? Like if we all come in and our priority is to serve one another, then everyone gets served. But if our priority is to come in and just serve ourselves, then it might be that no one gets served, right? And so he says we treat one another with kindness and goodness. Uh, And by the way, those are fruit of the Spirit, Paul writes to the church of Galatians, chapter 5, right? For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, right? Gentleness, self, all the faithfulness, self-control, like this, this is something God produces in us. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Like, how do we become these people? God has to do it within us. Can you think, in fact, just take a moment right now, and in your mind, think of someone in your life who's kind. Someone you know, just, just take a minute, and in your mind, who is someone you know who is kind? You got that person? All right, tell me, just don't tell me their name, but what, what are some qualities of someone who is kind? Why, why in your mind do you associate them with kindness? Any thoughts? I'm sorry? A heart for other people. They're not, they're focused on others. What else? Compassion. It's a great word, right? Compassion. Selfless. Selfless. Yeah. What are some ways, what are some ways they show kindness? Patience and tolerance. Do you appreciate people who are patient with you? Yeah. Are you glad that people are more patient with you than you are with them sometimes? Amen. Yeah? What else? What are some other ways they express kindness? They put you first. Yeah? They listen well. Do kind people listen well? Yeah, they really do. And, and so, uh, so Paul says here, listen, we want to have a spirit of respectfulness, but also we want to develop a spirit of kindness and goodness. And what does he say? Good for each other and for everyone else. Right? We, we serve, the Bible would say, the Jew and the Greek. We serve the Muslim and the Jew. We, we serve the homeless and the millionaire. Listen, we, we, we serve everyone. It's who we are. Amen? It's who we are. And by the way, we don't serve to get anything in return. There are so many times in the Bible, the Bible says that Jesus will go into a village, and it says they bring to him all of their sick and demon-possessed. All, all. And by all indication, the vast majority of them never followed him. We have an example in Scripture where Jesus heals 10 lepers. And if you remember, only one comes back and says, thank you. I'll just be honest, if I was Jesus, I'd have zapped the other nine with more leprosy. Right? But that's, that's right. No, the answer is no. Because that's not who Jesus is. And that's not who we are. Oftentimes, the good we do for someone else 
is never paid back, but that's not why we do it. We do it because when we serve others and when we show goodness and kindness, it glorifies our Father in heaven. It glorifies Jesus. So we are called to be those who develop a spirit of respectfulness, a spirit of kindness and goodness. But then uh, thirdly, we see this. As a follower of Jesus, I'm called to develop a spirit of praise. As a follower of Jesus, I'm called to develop a spirit of praise. And he says in verse 16, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Now, it's interesting. In, in English, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. In Greek, the shortest verse in the Bible is this, rejoice always. So it's just this little itty-bitty phrase that he puts in there, but it is packed with power. And he says, uh, uh, we are to rejoice always. And so Paul's going to mention this multiple times as he writes the churches. There's this theme that Paul brings. There's, there's something about praise. There's something about worshiping Jesus. There's something about rejoicing that takes our focus off of our circumstances and places them on the Father, right? There, there's just something about that. I, I don't know if you're a bit like me, but sometimes when, when I'm going through a difficult time, I can just kind of become almost like I just have blinds on, and all I can see is that thing that I'm struggling with, whether it's a sin, whether it's a discouragement, whether it's a broken relationship, whatever it might be, it's almost like I lose focus of everything except my problem. And there's something about praise, there's something about worship that kind of resets it, it kind of refocuses our gaze back on the Father. And so he says, rejoice. It, it literally means to find joy in all of life's circumstances. To find joy in all of life's circumstances. Now, that's tough. I mean, that's tough. Because sometimes circumstances in life stink. Sometimes circumstances in life are gut-wrenching. And so how do we praise through those seasons of, of, of difficulty? How, and, and why do we do it? And I believe Paul brings this up over and over again because, again, he knows that there's something about fixing our gaze off of our circumstances and back onto Jesus that helps us then keep our circumstances in perspective. Are you with me? There's something about when we remove our focus off of the circumstances and we place them back on Jesus, we can then see our circumstances in, in a proper way. And so it takes intentionality, it takes focus, and listen, it takes faith. It takes faith to praise Jesus in the valley. It, it takes faith to praise Jesus in the cemetery. It takes faith to sing hymns on the cancer ward. It takes faith to sing out when you're all alone and there's no one to sing with. And so Paul then reminds us in Romans chapter 8, he says, listen, make this the foundation, the core of your praise, and it's simply this, for God is working for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. God is always working, always working for your good. God is always working for your good. If you love Jesus, he is always working for your good. Look at the person beside you and say, God is working for your good. Tell them.
And you say, Kenny, I, that's easy to say on a Sunday morning, but I don't feel that on Monday afternoon. And I get that. You may not feel it right now. And that's why it's a step of faith to say, God, I choose to believe. I choose to believe that what you say is true. I'm going to choose to believe it. I don't feel it. I'm not experiencing it. But I'm choosing to believe that what you have said is true. And so I will praise you in the deepest and darkest of valleys. For you are always working for my good. And, and so we want to be people of respectfulness, of, of kindness and goodness, but people of praise. And that's why praise is detached from emotion. If we only praise Jesus when we feel good about life, that's not really praise. The heart of worship is praising God even when we don't want to. I always tell people, when you don't feel like reading your Bible, read the Psalms. Read the Psalms. You'll see the honesty of David. And David praising Jesus from the deepest and darkest of valleys. But we've got to develop that. It doesn't come naturally. We, we see a fourth thing, and it's this. As a follower of Jesus, I'm called to develop a spirit of prayer. I'm called to develop a spirit of prayer. Uh, he, he just working, look, verse 16. Rejoice always, and then verse 17 Pray continually. Pray continually, right? Uh, other ways Paul says it is pray without ceasing, right? And so, so the idea is simply this, that, that we make prayer just a normal rhythm of our day. Now, sometimes we might think of prayer as something we do at a set time, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's good to start our day in prayer. So maybe you wake up early and you say, hey, from, you know, from, from 6.30 to 7, that's my prayer time. And, man, you hold on to that. Keep that. Like, I think, I think it's good to have organized prayer, right? And, and it's good to gather for times of prayer. So it might be on a Wednesday night. We gather in this place for prayer, and, and so that's good. But Paul is saying that, that prayer is not simply about a moment in time, but it's about an attitude of life. Prayer is not simply about a moment of time, but it's, it's about an attitude of life. And it's, it's about praying throughout the day. It's about praying without ceasing. Now, uh, th- think about it this way. If, if, if maybe you're new to the Christian faith or, or this idea of prayer is a bit intimidating, uh, just change it. Look up here. And so I said, as a follower of Jesus, I'm called to develop a spirit of prayer. Uh, change that and just say this. As a follower of Jesus, I get to talk to God all the time. Change that. That's a better way of saying it, right? As a follower of Jesus, I get to talk to God all the time. Now, that's amazing, is it not? And so I guess the question is, why don't I? Like, if I can speak to God all the time, why don't I? And here's the thing. He wants to speak to me all day. Right? This isn't a monologue. Like, not only can I speak to God all day, but God wants to speak to me all day. I was uh, driving to the grocery store recently, and I was by myself. And I, I'll confess, I do like to talk to the Lord in, in the car. And so, um, so I'm, I'm sitting at a traffic light there in King Standing, and, um, and another car's pulled up, and I'm paying no notice of the car. And I'm just praying. I'm just talking to the Lord. And so my eyes are open, and I'm just talking away. And it's like, Lord, yeah, and this is what I did, and I need help with this. And I'm just talking away, and I'm even kind of doing my hands a bit like this. And, uh, and there's no one in the car with me except the Lord. And I look over, and the person beside me is looking at me like this. <laughs> and so I will admit, I, now I should have raised 
you know, rolled down the window and went, I'm talking to Jesus. He's in the car. But then that would have freaked him out even worse. So I actually reached down and picked up my phone and went. And they were like, and then I was like, Lord, sorry, right? Like we can just talk to him. Like he wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from you. And not just at 30 minutes in the morning, but throughout the day. And can also say, as we pray for one another, let's pray for one another throughout the day. Let's do it in real time, right? If someone stops you as we're leaving this morning and they say, hey, would you pray for me this week? I, you know, I have something coming, coming at work and I'm really kind of don't know what to do. Listen, you know the best time to pray with them? It's right then. Like pray then in the here and now, right? And it's not about fancy words. It's not about hither, yonder, where art, far, thou, father, and all that. You're just talking to God, right? So Jesus, this is my friend Dan, and he's got a big thing at work this week. Man, would you just bless him, Lord, and would you just help him? Amen? So, Lord, uh, developing us a spirit of prayer. Uh, two others, really quickly. As a follower of Jesus, I'm called to develop a spirit of thankfulness. As a follower of Jesus, I'm called to develop a spirit of thankfulness. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, one scholar called this the holy trinity of Christian discipleship. The holy trinity of Christian discipleship. As followers of Jesus, we want to be women and men who rejoice always, who pray continually, and who give thanks in all circumstances. And so he says, uh, we want to be people who are grateful. The word thankful here simply means grateful, right? Lord, give us an attitude of gratitude. Lord, make us thankful. And he says, give, give thanks in what? In all circumstances. And again, it's, it's a bit like we saw with praise. If, if we only praise when things are good, then is it praise? Well, if, if we only give thanks when, when our blessings runneth over, then are we really thankful? He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Lord, would you, would you give us hearts of thankfulness? Thankful for Jesus. Thankful for the Word, right? I, I was reading just this week, that there are still 2 billion people on the planet who don't have the Bible in their language. 2 billion people who still don't have the Word of God. And I just thought, how, how often do I give thanks just for having the Word? There, there are Christians who, who could be imprisoned for meeting like we're meeting today. Lord, how thankful I, uh, am I for, for being able to gather together. There are those who will sleep rough tonight and the rain will fall right on their heads. Lord, how thankful am I? There are countless children who will go to bed tonight hungry. How thankful am I? Right? And so, Lord, would you develop in us a spirit of thankfulness, an attitude of gratitude. We, we live in a culture where, whether we realize it or not, uh, that, that we're, we're actually not encouraged to be people who are grateful, right? And, and so I'll give you an example. My sister was in advertising for many years and uh, worked for radio stations primarily, selling adverts, going to big companies and corporations. And so she was in advertising for years. And, and I remember my sister telling me once, she said, the secret to advertising is convincing people that they're dissatisfied with what they have. The secret of advertising is convincing people that they should be dissatisfied with what they have. 
um, I was in a meeting. We were, uh, well, Chris and I were in a meeting this past weekend. Someone uh, saw my phone. It was one of, it was a teenager. They saw my phone and they said, oh, what, what phone is that? I went, I, I, I don't know. It's a phone that talks to people. And so they looked at it and they went, is this a, is this an iPhone 13? And I went, yeah. And they went, huh. So you don't have the 15? I went, no, I didn't even get to 14. Like I, you know, but are you with me? People sleep outside the Apple store to get the new phone. <laughs> that true? Right? But here's the, here's the crazy thing. They slept outside the Apple store last year to get that phone. In the West, our consumerism, we, we are constantly told to be dissatisfied with what we have. And hear me, sometimes we will bring it into the church. Right? We'll bring it in if we're not careful. Listen, we don't want to be those who moan. We want to be those who are grateful. Amen? We want to be those who are grateful. Lord, would you protect me from a spirit of entitlement? Would you protect me from a spirit of whininess, from moaniness? And Lord, would you give me a spirit of gratitude that I might be thankful, and don't miss it because it's key, in all circumstances. Paul says to the church at Philippi in chapter 4, the book of Philippians, he said, I've learned the secret of contentment. I haven't learned it yet, but it's, it's something I pray. Uh, Andy Vaughn and I talked about this about three years ago, and, and we were praying for one another, and I said, Andy, pray that I would learn the secret of contentment. And uh, it's three years on, and I hadn't learned it yet, but I want to. Just pray harder. It's your fault, Andy. Pray harder, right? Like, Lord, teach me the secret of contentment, because sometimes our hearts can become so discontented. And Paul says, I've learned the secret. He says, if I have a lot... I'm happy, and I have nothing. I'm still happy. Lord, make us people who are thankful. Then finally, we see this. As a follower of Jesus, six, Ben. Uh, as a follower of Jesus, I'm called to develop a spirit of discernment. As a follower of Jesus, I'm called to develop a spirit of discernment. Look what he says here. He says, uh, so church, do not quench the spirit, the Holy Spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. He says, finally, I want you to develop a spirit of discernment. I want you to be able to recognize uh, what are those things that are from God? Who are those people who are from the Lord? And what are those and who are those that are not? And I want you to reject every kind of evil. He says, test everything and hold on to what is good. And in the Greek here, the, the, the idea is the, the picture of someone panning for gold. And so if you've ever seen someone panning for gold, uh, they would be in a stream and they have this pan, it has a mesh bottom, and they're going to scoop up a bunch of dirt and a bunch of rocks, and then they're going to let water run into it. And what are they going to do with that pan? Do you know? They shake it. They shake it. They shake it. And the holes in the mesh are such that everything falls through the mesh except that which is valuable. And so as they shake and as they shake, what they're looking for is what is left in the pan. And hopefully what is left in the pan is gold, is a value. And everything else has just fallen back into the stream, right? That's the picture here. 
And so he says, do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but this is to test them all, hold on to what is good. You, you, you shake it, you test it, and if anything is good is left, that's what you hold on to. Everything else, let it go. And so with that, that picture in mind, I want you to think of your Bible as that filter, that tray. And so we, we take what, what we're heard, we take sermons, we take what people say, uh, we, we take whatever it might be, and we, we shake it out through this book. And if we find it in this book, then it is good. If it's contrary to this book, then we let it go. We let it go. And he says, we hold on to what is good, right? And sometimes I have to do that with my own heart. Like, Lord, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm feeling, and I need to bring it to this book, and I need to shake it out and make sure it lines up with your word. And if it lines up, it's, it's okay. If, if not, and so um, I'm going to make up a really silly example, but if someone comes to me and says, you know what, uh, Kenny, would you pray for me? Uh, we're just struggling with our finances, and so I'm, I'm praying about robbing a bank. Would you pray with me about that? Right? So, all right. Oh, man. Okay, let's pray into that, right? And so why don't we maybe start with this book, and maybe let's see what this book says about bank robbery, and then, and then we'll go from there. Now, that's a really over-the-top example, but you take my point, amen? You take my point. Because sometimes it might be relationships. Like, should, should I be in a relationship, a romantic relationship with this person? Let me see what the book says. Sometimes it is, Lord, I, how do I spend my money? Let's see what the book says. Lord, someone has really hurt my feelings, and they've, they've really struck out at me. What, what does the book say? And so we, we use this book as the mesh, the filter, and we hold on to what is good, and we let go of what is evil. So um, last thing, how do we do any of this? How do we become people who are respectful, people who are kind and good, people who praise, people who pray, people who are thankful, people of discernment? How do we do it? And this much I know, none of us can do it without Jesus. None of us can do it without the Holy Spirit indwelling us, empowering us, and enabling us to live out. Because you know what we've just described? You know who had discernment? Jesus. You know who was thankful? Jesus. When he broke bread, he gave thanks. You know who knew how to pray? Jesus. You know who praised his heavenly Father? Jesus. Do you know who was kind and good to everyone, even those who spitefully used him? Do you know who was able to say, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do? Jesus. Do you know who was respectful to the Father? Jesus. What we're saying is, how do we become Jesus? And we can't do it in our flesh. It's not about working harder. It's not about praying harder. It's not about coming to church more. Remember, it's what we do flows out of who we are. And so it's simply this. You will become most like those who you spend most of your time with. You will become most like those who you spend most of your time with. So can I just encourage you, spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time in this book. Spend time in his word. Spend time talking to him throughout your day and ask him, Lord, would you make me more like you today? Jesus, would you work in my heart? Make me more like you. I can't do any of this, Jesus, without your help. Would you come and would you help me?
Uh, many, many years ago, um, our kids were quite small, and uh, we were having a barbecue. And I'd been outside, and I'd been grilling burgers, and the kids had been upstairs um, playing, and they didn't know I was outside grilling the barbecue and uh, grilling the burgers. And so they came running downstairs. Christy said, dinner time, and they came running down. And I had come inside from being out grilling the burgers, and, and, uh, and Max comes and just, you know, gives me a, a little cuddle. And then he, he took a big whiff. He said, Daddy, you smell amazing. I said, yeah. He said, and he was probably about six, five or six. He said, is that a new cologne? <laughs> and I said, well, what does it smell like, son? He said, you smell like a big, juicy burger. <laughs> I thought, by the way, if that was a cologne, I would wear it. See, here's the thing. By being in the presence of the smoke, I had the aroma of a burger. You spend time with Jesus, you'll have the aroma of Christ. And he'll get all the glory. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. And we can't do any of this stuff without you. Lord, I would confess in my heart, I am a rebel I'm not prone to give thanks. I'm prone to whine and moan. I confess that sometimes I make excuses of being too busy to pray. Lord, I would imagine all of us could look at these things and feel quite intimidated and daunted. But thank you, Jesus, that it's not up to us doing this in our flesh, but that, Holy Spirit, you want to do this in us and through us. And so we think of of John chapter 15, and your word says that, that you know, they're vine and they're branches, and that if we abide in you, we shall produce much fruit. But apart from you, we can do nothing. So, Lord, the only way we can produce the fruit of kindness and goodness and respectfulness and prayer and all these things is only with your help, Jesus. And so we want to ask for forgiveness for those times we try to manufacture these things in our flesh, That's like plastic fruit. It looks good, but it's not real. Lord, we know that only real nourishing fruit can come by your Spirit working in us and through us. So Holy Spirit, would you fill us anew? Would you empower us? Would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us? And would you make us more like Jesus? We humbly ask in Jesus' name.